As I grabbed it and I unplugged the bottle, I was looking down at the table at the, at the bottle pulling it, I remember. And as soon as I looked up to take a drink, my dad's spirit was standing there. Mm. Literally, I could see him. And then my dad said, that's not the solution, son. Mm. And that was Ron Interpreter, a member of the Navajo Nation, an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and a man putting on a three-day expo here in Phoenix, Arizona, April 12th through the 14th, with a focus on connecting people to indigenous traditions of healing. I'm really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. I'm really hoping that you check out this three-day expo. And without further ado, let's get to becoming legendary with Ron Interpreter. every opportunity so that you can become you legendary become legendary what adjustments can you make right now to make yourself your only better? goal is to be the best version of you Ron, thank you so much for coming on Becoming Legendary I am really we've we've had some pre-podcast talk that has been um, light my soul up. So I'm really excited to be able to have this opportunity. Um, beautiful. Every, every single podcast starts the same way. So what I want to know about you first is what does your typical day look like? <laughs> my typical day. Um, well, I, I want to make sure that, uh, the first thing that I do every morning is to int- introduce myself to the universe. Um, and, and, and this comes from a Navajo teaching, a Navajo way of life, and how my grandparents were very influential to me, too. Uh, they always said, get up in the morning you know, and welcome the sun. Get up in the morning and pray and get up in the morning and say hello to the universe. You know? And so from a practical sense, it got us out of the bed to go walk outside and, and, stand, in front of the, and stand in front of the horizon and uh, be in that space. So it allows us to wake us up. So over the years, um, I've come up with uh, uh, different ways of how we do that. You know, in Navajo traditions, it's simply just taking corn pollen out or cornmeal out and saying a prayer and, and creating that intention for the day. It's not only just introducing yourself to the world and to the universe, but it's also creating that intention of how you see that day unfolding. And then also uh, putting a lot of, um, of faith in yourself and trust in yourself that the resources will be there for you to fulfill the day. So that's what I do, basically. Over the years, I've uh, engaged in different wellness practices and had people come into my life. And so there's things that I do now, like in addition to praying, I do uh, meditation. I do uh, yoga. I, um, I, I used to be a college athlete, so I go and run. So it's a combination of stuff that I do just to get myself ready. So I'd say about maybe an hour. Okay. Uh, and of course, I have to have my cup of coffee. Of course. <laughs> the best medicine out there. <laughs> <laughs> so I have my cup of coffee. I just kind of just be in that space of uh, being with the universe and in, in my mindset and in, in my heart place. It's just being there with the universe and knowing that I have this really good relationship with everything. Uh, the sun, the stars, the sky, the earth, you know, the, the, the animals, the birds, um, you know, everything in life. And part of that universe is also to, uh, to take an account for the, the, 
the current practical things that are there. You know, you have the vehicles, the truck noises going down the sidewalk as you're walking or, uh, you know, the plane overhead. All of these things are just part of the universe. And uh, so for me, it just it just allows me to be in that space. So about an hour getting ready in the morning. There are some days where I oversleep. <laughs> some days so, you need it. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, uh, I, I try to do my best to um, take a moment to, to, to be in that space. You know, I try to do it every day. And then um, I'm a worker. I'm a worker bee. I just have to get right into that space uh, of just finding out what I need to do to get the things done for today. So I get right into my uh, emails. I get right into my projects. Um, you know, I do all the things that I do just to just to get things done. And I work pretty much all day. My typical day would be going to meeting a client. Uh, I, I have a, a wellness practice, so I would meet a client, uh, a one-hour sh- session or an hour-and-a-half session around energy treatment, uh, Reiki, or life coaching. So I'll have s- several scheduled through the day. And those could be individual one-on-one sessions that I have in a studio, or it could be um, uh, a Skype. I have some clients internationally that I Skype with. Um, so that could be uh, a possibility. I have so many different projects going on other than just my wellness practice. So, uh, in recent, in the last two years, um, part of my, uh, uh, day has been devoted to a couple of film projects that I'm working on. Um, I have two beautiful friends of mine who've, uh, allowed me to be a part of their film production company. Uh, so I would work around that you know um we're now releasing uh, two more additional films so working on that i do have some corporate clients uh from my 25 years of being a consultant i would do a uh, a write-up maybe a a four-pager write-up on some sort of contract or some sort of uh policy review of some kind or i would be putting together a marketing portfolio of some kind uh employee training some something along those lines um and then I'm also just really passionate about my own personal contribution to the world uh, through my own individual practice. And currently I'm working on putting together an expo, uh, a, a, a three-day festival around indigenous practices. So that would be my entire day. Sometimes that would last into the evening time. So I'll be on the phone talking to people. I'll be emailing people. I, you know, just multiple things throughout the day. In the evening time, uh, I try to come center. I try to come center in, in terms of finishing the day and finding gratitude for that opportunity that the creator has allowed me to have this type of day and interacting with people, um, interacting with um, the opportunities to, to be influential. Um, so, I, uh, so at the end of the day, it's all about gratitude, try to find that space. And then, you know, just finish off the day in a good way and then uh, try to get some sleep and then start the day next day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. There's, there's a lot of things in that that I want to I touch base on. When you're starting the day with, in that first hour before our cup of coffee, when you are allowing for meditative space, what is, what is your meditative experience practice like? There's so many different ways that we can settle into this connection with the universe. How, how have you found your path to be most, most successful? Um, my grandmother always taught me um, different uh, ways of how Navajo people understand themselves and how they see themselves in relationship to the universe. And I think that's the most important thing that a person can have. I teach that to my kids, too. How they see themselves is really, really important. And how they then, once they see themselves, can relate to the universe. 
you know. Uh, so if we if we're in this mindset uh, or even this emotional state that uh, we're somewhat deficient or somewhat uh, incapable. Uh, then that's our contribution to the world. That's the first intention that we set. Mm. Is so that's my gift to the world. And therefore, any, any project or anything that I do for the rest of the day is going to be somewhat in that sense. Right. And so um, influenced by that. Yeah. It's not to say that that's part of the experience yeah. throughout the day. Absolutely, you're going to get challenges. Absolutely, you're going to be bombarded with issues. Absolutely, somebody's going to cost cuss you out or, you know, whatever it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, But it's in that experience that you first see yourself saying, okay, well that did happen. However, I need to get over it. I need to move on. I need to find uh, an opportunity to make things good in this situation. Yeah. So the Navajos uh, understood this. And um, so my grandmother always taught me to, to, to have that mindset and and that heart space. She explained to me that in in Navajo traditions, we understand ourselves. uh, There's a word for it. It's called Uh, she taught me that really, really important understanding um, of how we uh, Navajos see ourselves. Nohoka'a means uh, of earthly existence, of earthly energy, of earthly essence, um, uh, of earthly uh, spirit. This, you know, Nohoka'a of this earth. And when we say of this earth, we're talking the trees, the, the grass, we're talking the flowers, the bumblebees, the hummingbirds. We're talking Father Sky, the, you know, everything uh, that this universe is made out of. Even within the earth, the minerals, the crystals, the gems, all those things, the rivers, the oceans. So nohoka of this earthly existence, of this earthly place, of this earthly energy. The ne in our language means people, humanity as a species. So in relation to all these other species, the plant species, the animal species, you know, in relationship to all these things, we are we are we are people. The we embody this, we claim this, we are we are accepting of this, we we are divine in this. And so when you break that up into English and you put it all together, so it's of earthly existence, of earthly spirit, of the spiritual essence uh, of the universe. We are human beings and we claim this. This is this is us. This is our physical form. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Wayne Geyer says we're spiritual beings having a human experience. So in, rel- in relative to that quote, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And so with that understanding, every morning I try to relate to the spiritual being that I am. Uh, before we're born into this world, we're some form of energy, we're some form of spirit. You know, Spirit is equivalent to the idea of energy. So yeah. there's this essence of how we existed. And then uh, through the reproductive process, uh, through the engagement of love between uh, a man and a woman, then we are created into this fleshy, cellular process of, of what is a body, and then we're born into this world as a human being. But the essence, the core of who we are is still there, which is the spiritualness. Yeah. So every morning, my meditative process, my prayer, or my sense of being is really relating to the universe. And the only way that I can think of and that I've been taught to relate to the universe is to is to meditate, is to prayerfully put yourself in that space so that you see yourself beyond this physical body, that I am of the sun, that I am of the, you know, of the bumblebee, I am of this earth, I am of the crystal, I am of the stars, I am of the rainbow, I am of the mist, I am of the rain. And so that psychologically and emotionally gets me to think that 
there's more to run interpreter than just this body that I'm of all of these things. Literally, the, I mean, literally, we're made out of the same atoms as the microphone we're talking into. They're just arranged in a different way. Absolutely. And that is, it's really, I, I'm loving, I'm loving that practice of combining the this spiritual energy that has synced up with these particularly aligned atoms that has created Ron sitting in front of me. And I, I also loving the fact that that came from this traditional knowledge of your people. Yes. Those lineages of knowledge that go back to a universal level. Those are things that really excite me. Do you know, do you know where, where that Navajo knowledge, the source energy comes Mm -hmm. from? Can you can you help me understand where that source energy comes from? Well, I think it, it, it's uh, it comes from it comes from a multitude of resources. I know that a lot of indigenous or Native American uh, cultures and traditions, people of a tribe or people of a community, a distinct community, or even people of a very specific community, relative to being tribal or relative to being Native American or indigenous in today's society, in, in, t- in today's time, always credit that within their tradition or within their lineage, within their community or within their uh, within their uh, with their own people, all this knowledge goes back to their ancestors. Yeah, uh, and so for therefore they they credit that relationship and wholeheartedly claim that that's where it comes from, and that's absolutely true. But in that, where did these ancestors get this knowledge? Right, where did it come from? So in Navajo traditions um, and Navajo historical times uh, and, and Navajo origin stories, so looking at, at different dimensions from a historical standpoint, meaning practical time frame, looking at it from a spiritual standpoint in terms of origin stories, and looking at it from a religion or spiritual sense in terms of ceremony, Navajos over the over the generations have been meeting with different groups of tribes and have taken and learned from different groups and tribes to create their own distinct identity, to give relevance to their own identity as Navajo people. There are stories of how Navajo have had a really great relationship over time with um, the Hopi people, for example. Uh, If you talk to the real, real traditionalists, the elders who've lived way back when, talk about um, how Navajo and Hopi got together and and supported each other and uh, learned from each other, introduced different concepts, spiritual concepts, religious concepts, uh, even practicality in terms of agriculture and those kinds of elements. Um, uh, Navajo has gone down to a lot of the Pueblo tribes over in New Mexico, for example, the Zuni uh, Zuni and also the Isla Pueblo, and have uh, gained some knowledge too as well. So in terms of Navajo teachers, looking at it from historical reference, Navajo has evolved by reaching out to these different sources um, in terms of communities and individuals and tribes to be uh, uh, to access the technology, the information. So taking that same kind of mindset of going out externally, outside, uh, and looking at different resources. Uh, another example would be through accessing the universe as a resource. You know, there's a lot of intelligence uh, in the universe in its natural form. So one of those could be plant medicine, for example. So you, when you ingest plant medicine through a ceremonial process, now you're tapping into a much more heightened awareness, which we call spirituality. Spirituality is just increasing your mindfulness and your sense of awareness at a whole nother level. 
so uh, sometimes it takes plant medicines to be able to get into those realms, to, to, to that energetic realm. And so we've retained information from the universe through that way, too, through songs, through spirituality, through prayers, through visions, things like that. So there's different ways of how I understand Navajos have gotten information and received information, and then they've created their own. That's the human experience. The human experience is that we have five senses. Every individual on this planet has five senses in terms of how they manage the body. Mm -hmm. And so in those five senses, we then manifest things in our lives. We create things in our lives. Sure. Yeah, so that's kind of the general sense of how I understand it. The, I, I want to I go to the senses because I think that's an interesting starting point. We are constantly experiencing things through our five senses, and and those senses are creating our depiction of of our existence. All of that, all of our experience, though, really happens within us, right? So you're looking at me, but you're seeing my my image inside inside your brain right that's where you're getting the actual the through the retina the, the image is flipped and it, yeah. it's that's happening within you when you touch something you're not feeling what the thing feels like you're feeling what you feel like touching the thing is it possible now now, now, now i sound like ancient aliens i gotta ask that a different way <laughs> Are we using all of, are we using the full human potential with our five senses? Are there capabilities that we might not have incorporated into our ability to experience in those five senses? Oh, absolutely. So getting back into this understanding of spiritual beings having a human experience or is the general premise that we have two, two major existence of, of who we are as individuals. One being the energetic elements, which is the spiritual components or uh, the spirituality or the spirit that we possess. And in different languaging and different vocabularies and different tribes and different, uh, different ethnic groups, there's different names for it. So uh, in one way, it could be our inner child. That's a reference to that energy source within us, that spiritualness into us. In other traditions, you have the Ayurvedic uh, teachings of those five pillars of Ayurveda that's within our body. That's another form of how we understand the spirituality. Another form would be uh, the chakras. You have the seven chakras within your body. So there are different lineages and different teachings that talk about this spiritualness or the spirit within our body, uh, basically, which is energy. And so that's one existence. The next existence is this physical body that we have, you know, which is how does this body have its intelligence and how does this body relate to the practicality of things going around, right? It's what we call universal law. Uh, so how does this body interact with universal law? It's through the five senses. A really simple example of our relationship to universal law through these five senses is I'm standing on the, underneath a cliff and somebody's up there ready to throw over a 20-ton boulder. And so they push it over the edge and I'm right under that boulder, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> That's the most basic form of how I understand how this body will interact with universal law. Yeah. There's a sense of intelligence in there in terms of our mind, in terms of how we speak, in terms of how we taste, in terms of how we see, and in how we feel. And over repetitious life experiences around these senses, then we create 
how this body is going to respond to the universe in terms of universal law. You go to a stove, you touch it once, that's all it needs if it's hot. You know, that's one of the senses, which is touch and feel. Right. And if it's hot enough and you see it being red, then you know that's associated with that too as well. So the five senses are basically the intellect that we have in order for us to manage this body. And so the more that we have these life experiences around these, these senses, then we will then create a belief system around that. And then from that, we go into what is called knowing. We know that things are going to Things are going to happen. So going back to this rock, for example, growing up as a kid, me and my brothers, we're, we're crazy. We do crazy <laughs> stuff. We grew up on a ranch, you know, um, and we always did stuff to each other, right? So one of the things that we always used to do is just throw rocks at each other, things like that. Of course, you know, just yeah. Just fun stuff, yeah. right? So they would throw a little pebble and it hit me in the head. Then it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger, and, you know? So yeah. I've had enough life experiences of a pebble hitting me to eventually it becoming a rock. Yeah. So my senses are saying, ow, 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 or I see things. I know what a rock looks like. I know what a rock feels like when it hits me. <laughs> uh, and so I have enough life experience to know that when I'm under this cliff and I see that boulder coming down, like I'm going to move out of the way. Right. So that's just a really dumbed down approach to yeah. To, to the situation. So when we get into this idea of heightened senses and we get into this thing that we talk about, how does this really make sense and how is it relevant to anything that we do and what do these five senses really mean to us? Well, we create a belief system around this based on very specific identities. In Navajo traditions, uh, a Navajo way of life, we have basically four identities in order for us to manage this body. We have our spiritual identity, which is through the mind. We have an emotional identity, which is through our hearts. We have a physical identity, which is our body, everything within our body, the flesh, the bones, things like that. And then we have a, um, a mental or intellectual. There's a slight difference between spirituality and mental. They both come from the same place. They come from the mind. But there's different levels of consciousness that we understand as Navajo. The spiritual consciousness is resonating at a higher frequency. That's you meditating and transcending into the energy realms, uh, allowing your mind to be in that space. The practical application of the mind is through analytics, analyzing things, evaluating things, calculating things. Those are the, the, the level of consciousness that we look at uh, in terms of how we see that mind working. So those are the four main areas, the four main identities that we have in Navajo traditions that we understand how this body functions. Yeah. So there's a clear uh, there's a clear distinction between spirituality as an energy element, which is the subconscious, uh, which is the energy flows within the universe, our spirit, our inner child, yeah. the chakras, and so forth. And then there's the five senses, which is the which is the body, the human experiences. So we bring those two together. Mm -hmm. And so in Navajo, there are different terminologies, spiritual terminologies, body terminologies. Um, Things that allow us to see this global relationship between the spiritual being and the human being. So one of those ways is um, in Navajo traditions, we call it um, our mind. Our mind is able to create that relationship with the universe. You know, when you close your eyes, you, you, you don't really see or really know if it's really real or not in terms of. Uh, so that's where creativity, imagination and insight comes in. That's our relationship to the universe. If we have an aha moment. Our aha moment, our being solution-oriented, we come up with a solution. I, knowing that I have a much more larger relationship to the universe, can say, oh, thank you, God, for this. 
thank you, Creator, for this. Thank you, the water. Thank you for for this opportunity. You know, thank you, universe. So my mind will then transcend and give credit to the entire universe in terms of my relationship. Or it could be been, been wrong, like maybe maybe thirty years ago, which is like, oh, I did this, how awesome, you know, yeah. and not have relevance to the universe, but just in terms of what I did in that moment. Yeah. So our mind is what we create a relationship with the universe. The next one is our heart. Our heart is what brings passion into our lives. It, it's the motivation that allows us to get up and be very productive. Uh, so if we're not productive, we're then we have some sense of dis-ease or there's some sort of trauma or there's some sort of dis-ease around what it is that, or we have dilemmas or we're having drama. So that's the emotion that keeps us from being productive. Emotions that keep us productive and manifesting are things like uh, empowerment, uh, devotion, passion. Those are things that help. But though, but the heart is what allows us to put these five senses together and then create and manifest this life, this existence on earth. And so that's one terminology, your mind and your heart. In Navajo, there's another terminology from a religious standpoint or from a spiritual standpoint. We call it the masculine and feminine. So our mind is the masculine element, and then our heart is the feminine element. Uh, another terminology they call it in our ceremony is the protection way and beauty way. So the protection way is our mind, and the beauty way is our heart. Uh, so there's different ways of how we understand this relationship of spiritualness, uh, spiritual energy, spiritual body with our human body. Yeah. But that's basically the larger, uh, larger global kind of understanding of how we exist. We are really good, generally, at either being in the protective cycle or the love cycle, right? So yeah. finding a way to elevate both of those in, in unison allows for so much more control of our experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there will always be things in the outside world that happen that we cannot predict that w- won't go the way that we preferred. Yeah. But the moment we can balance out our, our intellect with our heart space mm-hmm. and we can find a, a level set, every one of those challenges really truly does become an opportunity for our own expansion. Yeah. When your tradition or the Navajo tradition is looking at, at those elements, mm-hmm. how are they nurturing? What is the, what is the nurturing process for each of those pathways? Well, I think uh, uh, it's, it's a number of different ways. In, uh, in our general understanding of Navajo traditions, uh, there is a, uh, we have to look at the larger picture, and then from looking at that larger picture, we can then look at some of these practical places that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so in Navajo, we understand everything is uh, the closest word, the closest understanding that I that I can articulate this is this sense of love. Okay. So in our Navajo traditions, everything is love. You know, the universe operates on this sense of love. Okay. And so in our Navajo way, you're either in love or you're out of love. Just basic existence. If you're in love, there's things that will happen where the universe will support you and you will create and manifest things in your life. Uh, So you're always in love. You're just in this sense of totality, this euphoric element. You're, You're in balance. You're in sync. If you're out of love, it's 
difficulty. It's causing a lot of disease. It's causing a lot of trauma. It's causing a lot of hardship um, in all areas of your life or even in your relationship to your relationship to the Creator, relationship to God. There's always these things. So in our Navajo way, you're either in love or you're out of love. That's just basically it. Now there's some manipulation things that go on, and that's where power comes in. That's ego-based elements. Um, when people are manipulating the situation, manipulating you, or man- manipulating things, they're just trying to live on this human side of things, which is putting food on a table. So how much food I put on a table is going to be my abilities to manipulate people so that I can have not only a large amount of food items on a table, but some exotic type of foods. Mm. So food could be power, political positions. It could be pleasure, pleasure in terms of taking advantage of people, sexual pleasure, all kinds of pleasures, yeah. having the fanciest car, you know, the Joneses, all that kind of yeah. stuff that happens. So that really has nothing to do with love. That's just manipulating basic human needs. Uh, and in a lot of teachings, it's basically manipulating the lower chakras. So you're living within that existence of the lower chakra, mm-hmm. thinking that you're, you have the best boat in the world and you think you're on top of the world, but all you're doing is you're just relating to the lower chakras. You're just manipulating powers and, and, and things like that to get things done. So it has really nothing to do with love. But in Navajo traditions, um, this idea of being in love with the universe or not being in love creates a much more holistic or purposeful look out on life. So that's one thing we have to understand. The next thing is choice. So in Navajo traditions, um, there's really nothing in line with this vocabulary or this concept of things being good or things being bad, things being evil or things being uh, you know, divine in that sense. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing. It comes down to choice and consequences. We make a choice and there's a consequence to that choice. So if we make healthy, conse- uh, healthy choices, then we're going to experience healthy consequences. Right. If we make unhealthy choices, then we experience unhealthy consequences. It's just that simple. Yeah. So what happens there, getting back to your sense of saying, how do we manage this? How do we create a sense of being right now within our body, within our capabilities, that we can actually be productive and be useful? It all comes down to either being in love or being out of love, just keeping it very simple. So if you're going to be very genuine in your gestures towards people, towards yourself, or even towards the universe, you're going to be really in love with it. You're going to be the best you can possibly be in that situation. And you're going to call into that uh, a perception or, or being the most that you can possibly be. That's beneficial, that there's a reciprocity, that what you do is gifting to the universe and what the universe then will gift back to you. Right? So there's that kind of concept. So it's being in love. Being out of love would be then generating uh, some drama and trauma within your life and, and imposing on things, imposing on people, um, and, and, and not allow things to happen with a sense of flow. So in that is also that idea of choice. If Ron Interpreter is going to make a choice and knowing that it has nothing to be good or bad, it just has to do with just the consequence as a result of my choice. It puts Ron Interpreter in a space of saying, I got to look at this situation before I make this choice. Not that I have to contemplate over it for for decades, right? But to just be mindful of saying, if I make this choice, then the consequences are going to be something I'm going to be accountable for. 
rather than just abruptly making that choice and going forward with it and, and you know, and blaming other things for what has happened uh, if the consequences are unhealthy. But for me, it just puts me a little bit more in a space of saying, okay, you know, I'm going to take ownership of this choice, whatever happens. That's one. The other is people are going to be affected by this choice. So I want to make sure that I can perform at the best of my abilities within this choice. And the other would be if I don't have those abilities, then making this choice, I got to find a way to supplement those areas that I'm not proficient in to allow myself to perform when I do make this choice. Yeah. So it really puts you in a really good space of saying, you know, I'm going to be mindful in my choices and know that this is something that um, I'm going to really enjoy. Yeah. And it puts it it cuts off the dilemma. It cuts yeah. off the chaos even before you even experience it. Yeah. So that's what my grandparents said is that it's in, in the Navajo they call it ahujitong. In a very phonetic and a very little sense means it's really up to you. Right? It's, it's really, really up to you. But what they're saying is it's really between you and the universe. It's between you and the universe. So I would always ask my grandparents, you know, what about this? You know, what about college? What about this job? Or I have to go and get this for, for grandma, you know? And they would you know, in their language, in their way, just present that right back to me. It's really up to you. But it's really up to you and the universe yeah. how you're going to do this. It puts more accountability in, on, on your choices and how you're going to fulfill that. Ah, there is so much freedom in accountability, responsibility. It's interesting because I think both of those words, which are being, have the capacity to be interchanged in this, in this conversation, uh, can create negative thought cycles for people. Um, and I think that does create a lot of the disruption and dilemma around making decisions mm -hmm. is people are not making decisions that sit appropriately with, with their energy, with mm -hmm. their soul, with their spirit. Because yeah. if you're making decisions from that place, the, the accountability of, of what happens afterwards is just, it's just part of the experience. Yeah. There's, there's no negative component. There's no possibility of negative component to it. It's just, this is where my soul took me. Absolutely. And here's the experience that I'm in right now. Absolutely. And what am I going to do with that experience? Yes. Yes. Which so is, it takes off the guilt and the shame. Yes. So for a good, a good example would be if Ron interpreter makes this, um, makes this choice. So a good example would be, um, you know, if we're going to tackle something really difficult, for example, uh, and, and, and apply it to a life experience. The thing that comes to my mind is, um, is uh, my dad. My dad was a person who was very talented, uh, very articulate, very intellectual, very much a free spirit. But he had a dependency on alcohol. And so a majority of my life, I didn't really interact with him. He was hardly ever around and a result died from it. So my earlier years was this sense of hatred towards him. Yeah. You weren't in my life. So I'm living these emotional traumas uh, just about every day. You know, I'm, I'm finishing school. He's not around. You're not at my graduation. You know, I hate you for it, blah, blah, blah. I even had a, a goal. It became a goal in my life that I'm going to outlive his years. Mm -hmm. He died at 36. And so when I turned 37, you don't look a day over 36. <laughs> <laughs> so when I turned 37, you know, 
my life goal was to outlive my dad. Mm. The reason why I woke up in the morning, the reason why I was an athlete, the reason why I got A's in high school, the reason why I lived the true essential being of who I am as Ron Interpreter was based on this idea of hatred and animosity about my dad. that I'm never going to be like him. Yeah. And therefore, I'm going to outlive him. I'm going to show you. And so when I turned 37, I met my goal. Right. But nowhere in that... I started to realize is really about Ron Interpreter. Right. Oh my gosh. I'm like, what am I, I, I've been living 37 years. Yeah. And I don't even know a dang thing about who I am and what I want to do or what my life purpose is about. Yeah. So that's an example, mm. you know? And then, uh, it wasn't until I had my first child uh, that I started to create a different relationship with my dad. And I went through a divorce, um, and that's when uh, another time I had a really profound. And so my relationship with my dad, or this concept of my dad, has really shifted much more healthier. Yeah. Uh, with my kids, for example, I finally understood what it was to be a parent, to feed them, to get diapers, to take care of them, to put clothes on them. The stress that my dad probably would have had if he had five kids. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, now I understand maybe why he he drank. Maybe why he had to find a way to escape from things. Yeah. Right? So that was a huge healing for me. And so I began to think differently about him. And then another time was when I was going through my divorce. Um, I was so emotionally distraught. I remember... I was in, in the kitchen at the home that we own at the time. And she, and she told me, my wife at the time told me that we were going through a divorce. And she didn't have any emotional elements about it or caring or compassion. She just told me. And my whole world broke down. Everything that I understood broke down. And so I went into this emotional depression for about four hours trying to figure this out because my mind was trying to wrap Right around this. And so my, I was thinking about my kids. I was thinking about work. I was thinking about all of this stuff. I was thinking my responsibility to my grandma saying, you know, you have, when you're, when you're a husband, this is what you do. So I was totally failing at everything. And my whole, whole world was crashing down. And so I went to grab, um, this, um, vodka bottle in the back of the freezer. You know, I didn't drink, I didn't drink, but my wife would like to have little cocktails here and there. And I remember she had something like back there that we had, we had had that in the back of the freezer. So I needed to calm my nerves down. I needed to get in a place and I started creating these behaviors. Like I will show you, I will hurt myself to show you. I'm going to hurt myself to be able to give you a sense of compassion towards me. I started going through this process, you know, so I went and I grabbed that bottle and I put it on the table and I, and as I was unplugging it, I was going to just drink it. As I grabbed it and I unplugged the bottle, I was looking down at the table at the, at the bottle pulling it, I remember. And as soon as I looked up to take a drink, my dad's spirit was standing there. Mm. Literally, I could see him. And then my dad said, that's not the solution, son. Mm. And so looking at this spiritualness, right, this mindfulness, this awareness of connecting to the universe. So in that energetic form or, or a deity, uh, an angel, however you may define it, I had enough 
awareness at that point to say, this isn't the solution. There's got to be some value in this experience yeah. that I just had. And so uh, ever since then, I, you know, I've never used, uh, uh, even, even when I was married, I've never used alcohol as a coping element. It, it just never has been something that's been a part of my life. Yeah. I would drink it socially and stuff, but I never use it as a way of coping. Um, and so it's because of that and because of him coming into moments like that, that I have a deeper appreciation for who he is Yeah, and, and the value that he created for my, in, in my life. And the same thing with my mom, you know, she wasn't, she, uh, she, they got a divorce when we were kids. So okay. we didn't grow up with our parents. So I had those healing experiences with my mom too, as well. There's a number of things that have happened, but it gets back to this idea of choice and consequences and what you choose to do and how you relate to the universe and how much of the universe you want to access is yeah. what we're talking about. So <clears throat> that's really important. Another way to look at this, you're talking about how do we, um, exists within this process or how do we use practical skills or how do we acknowledge our own abilities um, uh, from a from a Navajo traditions uh, there's multiple dimensions with our mind and how it's connected to our body our emotions and so in Navajo traditions there's 12 levels of consciousness in terms of how we how we see ourselves and how we relate to the universe but there are three mindsets that my grandmother taught me about over time and I finally understood it and so I put some vocabulary words to to describe these three mindsets that I've used in my personal life and I also use with my clients. So the first mindset, knowing that we're spiritual we're spiritual beings, so there's that mind, and then knowing that we're a human beings, which is the emotion, uh, so tying those together uh, so that they reinforce one another. So if you have a mindset of uh, coping, dependency, yeah. Being dependent on certain things, then your emotion is to cope. You're coping with the situation. So dependency could be on substance abuse. It could be on a relationship. It could be on uh, uh, on a particular uh, financial situation. It could be whatever it is. You, you, food. Food, absolutely. You know, sugar, yeah. right? Um, there's this sense of um, a neediness for it. You cannot exist without it. Your whole identity is wrapped around this. Mm -hmm. And so it's a sense of coping. So to cope with it is you got to have it. There's a, there's a sense of, uh, I wouldn't say weakness, but there's a sense of it being a part of your life and you can't live without it. Mm -hmm. So that mindset is dependency. And then so we go to the next mindset, which is being responsible. Mm -hmm. uh, so the emotional connection with that is to believe or create a belief system around it. Being responsible is a, good, is, is a good place to be. It's a healthy place to be. However, you're managing external things around outside of you. You're responding to external situations and conditions that are outside of you. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to manage these things around you, outside of you. And so the more that you're successful in managing this situation, you know, paying your bills, having a relationship, this job, it's still things that are outside of you. You then you create a belief system. It happens enough time that you create a belief system, so the emotional connection is a belief. But when you believe something, you're still justifying that existence of why it is out there. You still have to justify it. So that's the second mindset. The third mindset, my grandmother said, is um, accountability. Accountability is the mindset, and the emotion associated with that is knowing. You just know. And I think when people come to a place of knowing, there's a sense of calmness. Even though the situation may change, mm -hmm. 
even though life may alter their state of being or livelihood, there's a sense of knowing like that is life. Life is all about, always about change, for example. Yeah. Things will always change. Things will always shift. But there's a knowingness that there's enough attributes and talents and things that you have that when it does happen, you'll step up to the plate. You'll be accountable to it. So those who are very calm in their life, those people who are in a place of, of stability, they're in a place of knowing. Yeah. So there's three mindsets and there's three emotional connections. With it's interesting as you laid those out, I feel like uh, you can overlay those three mindsets, right? So the experience of going through a relationship and the relationship ending, right? And there's this turmoil that happens at the end of the relationship. Well, the reality of the, the experience of the relationship and the reality of the turmoil at the end of the relationship is that those things have become part of you, right? So you are, you are a different person because you were involved in this relationship, because you were involved in the beautiful portions of the relationship and the challenging portion of the relationship. And once you've experienced that, you can't go back and be the person that you were before because mm -hmm. you've now, this person has become part of your life. It's become part of your responsibility and you are now accountable for this new being that you've become because of the experience you've gone through. Mm -hmm. So it's like we can, we can, we can interlay or overlay all three of those personality types and they, they really create this like human totem yeah. of loveliness. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so when we talk about multi-dimensions in terms of multi-dimensions reality or multi-dimensions in terms of accepting your past and things like that, or accepting these three mindsets, uh, brings me to uh, Edgar Tolle's book, the, the Power of Now. And the beautiful thing about that book talks about being in the present. And what I took away from that book was um, being in the present. In our Navajo traditions, we sing four songs or we, we look at uh, four ways of understanding who we are. And each of these songs, you, you sing it four times, and each of these songs articulates a very specific existence of who you are. So being in the present, as Eckhart Tolle uh, talks about, is, is accepting all of who you are, which includes your triumphs, your tribulations, your hardships, your, your most embarrassing moments, mm -hmm. <laughs> your, 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 the most unhealthy uh, choices you've made. It also includes the, the, the divinity of who you are. Mm -hmm. So when you look at all of these three mindsets, um, we then take place, we, we accept our, our past life history of, of who we are. Yeah. And that's where healing takes place. Yeah. So the three mindset is really a practice of being in the now. So yeah. if Ron Interpreter is in a place right now at this moment where I am coping with the situation, then I'm being dependent on that existence of whatever's happening to give me a sense of my identity my spiritual identity, my physical identity, my emotional identity, and my um, mental identity, which then describes my spiritual well-being and my human well-being. So, being in the now. Mm. So it's a it's a practical approach. It's an understanding of how I'm going to address that situation. Yeah. Right. So if I'm coping, then I then I take ownership of that. Yeah. You know, knowing that I'm coping with the situation and I'm using alcohol and I'm using these different ways 
to be able to establish my, my, my well-being. So that's, that's, that's how I look at it. In that, uh, there's also that acceptance of your life history. You know, there's, there's things, if you know yourself, if you come from that place of knowing, you come from that place of accountability, yeah. then you're fully accepting all the things that have happened in your life and the things that you've done. And you then start making these choices in your life that are much more healthier and the consequences that come back to you are different and healthier. So that's how I understand it from using it from a practical sense, our life practice, our yeah. life coaching, life, life coaching. It's, it's a reference. Yeah. It's a reference point. It slows things down. It starts organizing your thought processes and start organizing your emotional process and aligns you a little more. So that's all we're trying to do is we're trying to align our state of being, right? Yeah. So aligning the words coping, which is an emotional piece, which is our heart, aligning it with dependency, which is a mental state of being, then that's just a reference point. So it slows things down and says, okay, this is what I understand. Yeah. It makes me it makes me understand where I'm operating. Yeah. It makes me understand where I I can start relating to the world around me and start accepting um, places that I need to work on or places that I'm actually divine in. Yeah. yeah, these very practical these very practical windows of insight. Mm-hmm. So as you're as we're as we're as we're looking at your own like practical worlds of insight, you have the beauty within Expo that you, you're creating that you're yeah. bringing to the world, yeah. where people will have the opportunity to really interact with these with these truly practical insights. Right? Yeah. How'd the idea come about? <laughs> How did the idea come about? Quite honestly, um, uh, there's a few things that have happened in my life that were witnessed by key individuals that have been a very profound um, piece in my life. Um, one of them being my mom. You know, the last thing I remember about my mom, and uh, I've been doing a lot of healing work around this, is, um, you know, I remember her walking away when when they were going through a divorce. She was walking away. Uh, she signed all uh, obligations away to my dad. And so I have this woman walking out of my life. Hmm. But to this day, she reminds me of a moment that we had together uh, in church of all places of how um, she saw Jesus Christ in her, in her experience mm-hmm. and, and also a couple other people make its presence in me. So we were at church one day and uh, I was a kid. I was probably like five, you know, and um, there's always a time where you go in front of the altar, everybody comes up from the audience and sits up, and then the, the preacher or whoever is going down touching each one of them down the line just to have that sense of healing, right? And so as this preacher is coming, we're, we're, we're on one end of the line, he starts on the other, and so he's going down the line and, and having this moment. And then my mom goes first. As she turns, as she finishes her prayers with the, with the preacher, she turns to me, and as she's looking down, she sees, and I witnessed this too, I remember it. For a while I lost, I, I don't remember this, but when I fully accepted myself as all that I am, I started to remember this moment. The preacher turned into God or Jesus or an angel and put their hands on me. 
the preacher told me this afterwards because he embodied this, right? That he felt this or that he saw this happening. My mom saw it and five other con- uh, people in the congregation saw this. And so, again, spirituality, heightening my awareness with the universe, heightening my mindset and accepting and choosing to accept this is, 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 is where this is coming from. I've had multiple experiences like that growing up, but never really validated it. It was just something that I thought was was just an experience of yeah. some kind, out of the ordinary and didn't mean anything. That gave me relevance uh, as to knowing that every individual, every person that lives on this earth, every human being that has lived on this earth, every human being that has walked on this, that put their footprint on this earth. We're talking Irish, English, Navajo, Ojibwe. We're talking African-American. All human beings have had this experience. Everyone has had this experience. They have this relationship to all of the universe. So knowing that, I started to begin to think that everyone is indigenous. Everyone has a tradition. It's just through time and through uh, social, political structures, experiences uh, of manipulating power that a lot of these traditional ways have been removed from individuals' relationship to the earth. And so, or that God-like quality or divinity of who they are. So... That's the first experience that I had. Everybody has this, you know, in that experience. Um, uh, Everybody has the capability of seeing themselves in relationship to the universe. If it's within a church, if it's within a ceremony, if it's within peyote way, if it's within ayahuasca, if it's within whatever form of uh, spiritual uh, ceremony that's taking place, everybody has this capability. Everybody is related in this way. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, it's more of a practical experience. My kids all grew up, and so every day I would have ceremony with them. We, we would meditate together. We would sing together. We would talk about songs together. But now they're grown up. They're gone. They're out yeah. of the house. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sitting there every weekend waiting for them to come home yeah. so that I can sing them a song. And then my daughter just once told me, she said, uh, you know, there's people out there. There's people out there who need help. Yeah. What a great insight. Yeah. And so that kind of prompted me to, uh, three years ago, start looking at this idea of conscious community, looking at where um, uh, this effort of spirituality, life coaching, wellness industry, I started putting my time and energy in there. Yeah. So three years ago, I somewhat left corporate world as a consultant. I've been putting in 25 years as a consultant. Uh, doing business management with tribes, the federal government, Fortune 500 companies, doing executive coaching, marketing, product development, staff training, everything under the weather when it comes accounting under under uh, business. And so I left that to go into wellness practice mm-hmm. and start looking at ways of how I can provide Navajo cultures and tradition as a foundation to deliver uh, life coaching. Uh, holistic wellness, energy work, those elements. And I'm finding that there's a really need for this. And so the expo, the title of the expo is Humanity's Spiritual Calling of Becoming Beautiful. In our Navajo traditions, uh, we always say, every time we finish a prayer, every time we finish a ceremony, every time that we find ourselves balanced with the universe, 
We always say, Hajjana Hastli, Hajjana Hastli, Hajjana Hastli, Hajjana Hastli. We say it four times. And basically what we're saying in English is, it's become beautiful again. It's become beautiful again. It's become beautiful again. It's become beautiful again. In other words, we have this heightened awareness in relationship with all of the universe. And so knowing that humanity's making this huge shift, humanity in general is trying to access more authentic, real, practical approaches that are holistic in their own personal wellness. So they're looking towards a very specific, distinct group of people which in this case are indigenous and Native Americans. And a lot of people are gravitating towards those ways of life and ways of understanding because that's the only culture left. That's the only tradition. That's the only wellness in terms of personal wellness is available to give them this larger understanding of their relationship with the universe. Yeah. The songs, the ceremonies, the tools, the medicines, all of that is within these teachings. There's a lineage there. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to share that everyone has this. Even the Irish traditions have it. Even the English traditions have it. There's a huge generation gap between now and when it was lost. You have the Germanic tribes. You have the Celtic tribes. All of that still does exist. So my effort is to highlight all indigenous teachings and get people closer or get humanity closer to this understanding of a relationship with the universe mm-hmm. and much more balance of the mind and the heart, the balance with, um, you know, the universe and, and, the, and a human experience, um, their spirituality, so that they can find purpose in life. And I think that's really, really the most important thing. So it may be a, a, a grand idea of mine or a grand movement of mine, trying to look at uh, redefining indigenous and traditions, native traditions, as humanity, not as a particular tribe or a particular community from a particular geographic area or a particular lineage, but look at traditional, authentic native people as humanity. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do. And so we're giving certain examples of that. So, for example, in the beauty industry and uh, wellness uh, and the beauty uh, where the spas are, for example, the spa industry. There are a couple of tribes who uh, locally grow their ingredients that will eventually go into the spa oils or the lotion and you receive that medicine through application. So it goes into the body and has these natural healing properties that draw out and detox the body. So that's an example. Another example is uh, at the University of Arizona, there are doctors who are working with uh, Native American practitioners. These are these are practitioners who use the, use the peyote way or some form of plant medicine and ceremony to provide treatment within their community. But what these doctors are now doing is they're taking these practitioners and bringing them into the hospitals and working directly with their clients and their patients. Yeah. That's what's happening. There's this industry where it's growing, where they call this, uh, it's a new it's a new trend, but I'm hoping that it'll actually become a practical medical appro- medicine approach, which is these things called shamans in the spots. Uh, it's a huge growing within the, within the beauty industry of bringing shamans into the spa and creating that holistic energetic wellness as they're receiving a facial or any other form of esthetician work Mm. that that kind of thing there are natural path doctors out there who are using ayahuasca uh, using san pedro and all of these forms of plant medicine as a way to deal with their with their clients um you know wellness yeah so it's an array of industries that we're going into, the beauty industry, the medical industry, and the energetic industries. We're trying to showcase 
how these uh, indigenous ways are setting the foundation, but we want to deliver it in an authentic way. We want to make sure that when we're showcasing this, that it takes time for the person to invest their energies in learning the traditions, honoring the lineage, honoring the ancestors, mm. honoring the way of how it's being taught, rather than just arbitrarily going out there and saying, it's all it's all there, I'm doing this in a very you know euphoric way. Yeah. You know, there's there's a reason why these these uh, protocols are in place or right. these ways are in place. The understanding. So a participant in the expo, what should they expect? Is it to start pulling the thread of here's here are different modalities of healing. This is the thread that I most want to follow. Is it grounding and and developing that understanding? What what is your hope? Um, that a participant leaves with, right? Because it's everybody's experience will be unique in their own. Absolutely, I think people will take away from it um, multi uh, multi experiences, the human experience behind it. Yeah, and they're going to have a, a really beautiful approach as to understanding the relationship with the spirit, spiritual world, or you know, their heightened awareness. That's ultimately what I would like to see happen. Is that um, through the practical applications of demonstrating some of these workshops and having people come in for lectures or even having these small ceremonies. These are practical, sensory-oriented events and activities that happen, which will then allow them to go inward, giving them a much more spiritual or heightened mindfulness and awareness of what's going on. So when they leave, there's a lot of aha moments and healing. Um, So... I definitely am not going to be able to do this by myself. You know, I put together a great team of individuals who have this professional approach to wellness as well as a personal devotion to a spiritual connection in the work that they do. Uh, for example, we have Ashley LaBear, who has an extensive background, a professional background in psychology and mental health. Uh, but she's also very spiritually grounded in terms of the energy work, meditation. She's also a yoga teacher. And so she will cross, cross culture or cross cultivate that, that understanding. So that's one team member. Another team member is Danny Thompson, who is an up and coming, um, uh, ayahuasca, uh, apprentice, uh, coming from the, uh, Irish traditions, his family traditions, English traditions. He's been really devoted to this medicine and has been an apprentice to a curandera, uh, who, who has accepted him. And so therefore, uh, having him understand the medicine, how to use it, and then also him being in the corporate industry. He works in the corporate industry, which is a very fast-paced industry. And he's a, he's a team leader to multiple employees below him. And so he brings this spiritual understanding and personal practice into his behavioral uh, relationships with these individuals. And he actually does meditations and group sessions with these people in the corporate industry. And so that's an, a good example and then the, the third one is Veronica Clark. Uh, she's worked in uh, the academia world. She's done curriculum development. Uh, she works for Southwest um, Southwest Healing Institute, mm-hmm. Suiha, I believe. Yeah. And she's worked for other corporate uh, entities and other colleges, developing wellness programs and teaching wellness programs. Uh, and she's also a practitioner herself coming from the African-American lineage and other ethnic groups um, uh, in terms of her ancestral relations. 
And she's also a yoga teacher and other things that she does within within that industry. So these individuals help create a platform for me to be able to do this expo, uh, a, a level of ex- expertise that is necessary for us to begin looking at all of these multiple areas and these multiple industries and showing that this is something that humanity is needing. So, um, so what a person can experience would be uh, buying a ticket. There's multiple tickets that we have. One would be a typical day may be where Ron Interpreter shows up in the early morning and I have a choice to do a sunrise ceremony. And we'll have different forms of sunrise ceremony. One will be a yoga uh, led by uh, Ashley or maybe even Veronica where they go out into a hike and they're out in the elements. They're out in, out in, the, out in the environment underneath a tree or wherever and they're doing these meditations and yoga poses, creating this relationship with the universe. Or they may go with me where we go on a hike and we sit among these petroglyphs and we do a sound healing with my drum and, and do a med- guided meditation connecting to the world. Uh, so that may how a day would start, and then we go back into the venue, and we have 30 different lectures and presentations that we can go to. We can go to a naturopath doctor talking about their relationships, uh, medical applications with different indigenous traditions. There might be another presentation on a yoga teacher talking about the Native American relationship to the universe and how they do these yoga poses. Another one may be a Skype. We have we have um, doctors from throughout the world who are going to Skype in uh, to talk about the work that they're doing with their clients relative to plant medicine and other techniques. Uh, I have my dear nephew. His name is Max Ribner, who is with uh, the band um, NACO Medicine for the People. And we may even have NACO chime in and we're going to talk about this movement we call it the call to brotherhood movement the call to brotherhood movement is about men finding their own integrity within themselves so they can have a better relationships in their marriage and their partners uh, with their children and even just having life purpose themselves and using indigenous ways of how to come to that understanding uh, so we'll have uh, that type of workshop. In the evening time, we go into multiple ceremonies. Uh, Friday night, we're going to have a cocal ceremony. And we're going to have six different ways of how you would do a cocal ceremony. You'll have your traditional Mayan type of a ceremony where um, you have the traditional ways of how they bring people together, sit in circle or within the fire, around the fire, and share the cocal ceremony. That's one. In another room on the same premise or in another location, the same premise, uh, you'll have somebody who uh, will be doing cocal ceremony as a way of starting a yoga session. In another one, you'll have a Peruvian-based type of cocal ceremony. In another room, you'll have uh, me doing a sound healing using Navajo chants and Navajo meditations as we take cocal. Uh, so that's Friday night. And then we have uh, Saturday night is another ceremony, and same with Sunday night. So this is what a day would look like. Yeah. So this person will come in and have just a practical experience of how indigenous ways have become a part of now, of today, of how indigenous ways have fueled or is coming back into the picture of wellness, both in the medical sense and a practitioner sense and even personal care. And for me, being indigenous, being shamanic, is about being in the now. It's the best way a person can be in the now because it brings in ancestral teachings, the humanity teachings with contemporary applications. Yeah. That's all we did as human beings. 
you know, depending on the time frame that we, we, we existed in, that's all we did. That's all we had time for. When the sun comes up and the sun goes down, we literally had 12 hours to be in the now to have a spiritual relationship with the universe, to put food on the table, to have healthy relationships with our community, and to be able to pass on knowledge. 12 hours to make a difference. Yeah. To do all those things, you know, and have this relationship with earth, wind, and fire. That's what it yeah. is. It's, I, I, I love this idea. Um, we'll have all of the information, the link to the expo in the show notes. I, I have two, two last questions for you. And I want to thank you, A, for your time, because this has been just a lovely conversation, and I have thoroughly enjoyed the heck out of this. So my first question is, if you could know the answer to any question, what would it be? Know the like true answer to any question. If I were to know the true answer of any question, what would it be? Yeah. Not the answer, just the question. If you know the answer, though, feel free to share. <laughs> <laughs> Do I know the question to every answer? I don't know. I don't know what that question is. Mm. I really don't. That's fair. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. In the, I'm. I'm not the. I'm. I don't think I have enough life experiences to know what that question is. Mm. I really don't. I think I'm still learning. Yeah. And I think that's really the beautiful thing about me identifying myself as a practitioner rather than a medicine man or a shaman. Yeah. I see myself as a practitioner. In our Navajo traditions, from the time that we're born into this world and from the time that we uh, leave this world, the ultimate goal for that individual is to be their own practitioner, is to be their own healer. That's the whole point. And when we talk about that, we're talking about all life experiences, Mm -hmm. being a parent, being a professional, being an employee, being, uh, being, you know, a grandma, being a grandpa. Yeah. All of that is really about just being a practitioner. Those are all examples of being a practitioner. Sure. And so for me, being a practitioner also tells me that I got a long way to go. I still haven't fully experienced this life to the point where, where I truly know. Yeah. I still have room to grow. Mm. And uh, that's what keeps me going every day. And I get up, it's like, I don't know enough. And I, I, I'll claim to know that I know enough. Yeah. That there's more of God out there. There's more of love out there. There's more of Gaia out there. There's more of the one source up there. Yeah. That I that I can follow. Always. Yeah. So that's that's my I guess. I love it. Response. Uh, last question, and the answer can absolutely be no to this as well. Do you have any questions for me? <laughs> Will you be there at the expo? <laughs> Man, I will be there. This sounds, this is, I mean, honestly, this is like right up my alley, right in my world. These are, these are the things that excite me. These are the things that I'm passionate about. Yeah. And these are the things that I think I'm always asking for. Yeah. And I think that's an important point is the cultural community of Phoenix, Arizona and in whole, we need we need to participate in these programs. We need to participate in these opportunities because it's by us participating that we create the opportunity to for there to be more of these. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I I have I have zero connection. I have no idea what's going on inside inside your world to make this happen. But I know for a fact anytime you create anything, it is more work than anyone could ever possibly imagine. So the fact that you're doing this, um, one, I want to thank you personally. I think the the community of conscious explorers should 
embrace and thank you. And yeah, we should all participate in this. Absolutely. And, and in saying that too, uh, the reason why I asked it, it'd be good to have you there is I would also like to invite other practitioners who have an interest in being a speaker or being a, uh, to host a workshop, uh, to have them get a hold of us. Uh, we'd love for them to get a hold of us. Uh, we also are looking for volunteers. Uh, volunteers are individuals who would put on uh, two four-hour shifts, and, and in return, they get a uh, they get free access to to the daily events that are going on. Um, and then we also are looking for exhibitors, people who can share their medicine. And the, the 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 good thing about this expo, what I really love about this expo is this is ceremony. Mm-hmm. This is a contemporary format of ceremony. Yeah. When I think about ceremony growing up, when our grandmothers used to do the enemy way ceremony, the beauty way ceremony, the coming of age ceremony, any ceremony that we did, this is the same structure. This is how I'm designing a contemporary ceremony. Yeah. This is exactly how we do it. Uh, for, for example, um, there is a feminine space. There's one space in this entire venue of six different spaces. There's one room that's going to anchor the feminine energy. It's going to be a room dedicated specifically for women topics, women essence, feminine essence. And that's going to be the anchor of our entire venue. And then you have five other rooms, which are the masculine rooms Mm -hmm. or lecture rooms and things like that that will happen around. You have a ceremony where you have Friday night as an evening ceremony, Saturday night's an evening ceremony, Sunday's an evening ceremony. This is exactly how you would structure ceremony. So I'm very excited about this. This is a contemporary format of how ceremonies is going to be is yeah. going to be showcased. Rad. If if you want if you want to be involved in this, we'll have contact information again in the show notes. I look forward to seeing you there, Ron. Thank you so much for your time. 